thanks, uh, thanks for coming here. And um, so we are going to be talking uh, more about gender norms and um, how we kind of start transforming um, gender norms towards more peaceful societies. So I expect some of you were probably here before the break and some of you weren't. Uh, so for people who didn't come to the last session, which is also on gender violence and militarism, I'm just going to give like a really quick one minute rundown of what we have talked about. Um, so uh, before the break, um, I gave a presentation looking at how gender norms, violence and militarism are linked. Um, specifically looking at how ideas about masculinity as being something that involves power and domination over others uh, and, and violence and then social constructions of femininity which um, to do with weakness, peacefulness and submission can actually reinforce uh, militarism as an ideology and we talked about rising levels of militarisation within our society. And then we had Julia Welland from the um, University of Warwick gave an excellent presentation talking about constructions of masculinity within the British military uh, and how those impact upon the violence committed by soldiers against civilian populations within the countries they're operating in, um, how, um, how those gender norms relate to violence that occurs within the ranks as well amongst soldiers, and also to mental health issues and self-harming behaviours among uh, soldiers and veterans as well. So um, in this session, we'll be focusing more on what work to actually challenge some of those gender norms to promote non-violent masculinities can look like in practice. Um, so we have uh, David Brockway here from The Great Initiative, who's the project manager for The Great Men Project. Uh, we'll be running some interactive workshop sessions with you um, in the next sort of hour or so. Um, and these are, these are building on sessions that um, David and The Great Men Project run in schools around the UK, looking at how we challenge ideas about masculinity there. Uh, and then after that, um, Yuli Brethfeld from Safer World will talk about um, why engaging with people of all genders on transforming gender norms is important for peace building, also in conflict-affected and fragile contexts. And there will be some time for kind of discussion and Q&A after that presentation at the end as well. Um, so I will hand you over to David, who is going to talk you through the exercise. Thanks. Hi. Um, yeah, as mentioned, I work for a charity called the Great Initiative, and we have a project called the Great Men Project, which works in UK schools. It's effectively a PSHE project, so we work with boys aged 12 to 18 on gender equality and masculinity. So we've been working all over London, in the southeast, and increasingly a little bit further afield over the last few years. Our workshops are participatory and very much participant-led. So. We're not going into schools, as many of you may have experienced when you were at school, and saying to boys, no, don't use violence, it's bad, um, because that, that sort of has a very negative impact, and um, it doesn't really achieve much. Our approach is to go in and run a number of different activities that get the boys engaged with the material, and we create a discussion in which we get the opportunity to say, what is it about being a man that makes you, as a teenage boy, feel that you have to use violence or act aggressively when faced with conflict or um, encouraged to do so in some way. So really our ethos is to look at the underlying factors. What stereotypes are there, what norms are there that make people act in these ways. Um, so we're going to adapt a few of those activities now um, to work with you to basically get talking about what those norms are. Um, for people of all genders, we do have a bit more of a focus on men and boys because that is you know, what we do and it's why we got invited here. Um, 
so that will form, form quite a bit of uh, what we're doing, and especially because we've just been talking about militarism. Um, but you know, this is also, again, back to that ethos, is your session. So we really invite any discussion points that you'd like to, um, to talk about with the rest of the people in the group. I know that a lot of people in the previous session um, had a, sort of quite a lot of discussion going on, so if anyone wants to bring any topics that were in those sessions to the workshop, then please do. And our speakers from the last two sessions are going to be with us in those groups, so we'll be able to um, answer some of the more technical questions if they come up. Um, so if it's okay with everybody, I'd like to have two groups, one at the front here and one at the back in that sort of mezzanine bit. Would it be possible for everyone on this side of the room to stand up and go to the back over there, where you'll be joined by my colleagues Rebecca and Henry? And then on this side of the room, you come over here towards the front. some of the people at the back, sorry, um, hi. I might have to ask some of the people at the back to come forward just because of the acoustics with the other group, um, it's sort of not the best shape or size room, um, so it we'll, um, might be a bit Okay, um, sorry. first things first, oh, this is Naz, um, um, I'm David, um, we'll Try and um, move around a bit, keep you on your feet, but if you don't want to at all, that's perfectly okay, uh, just let me know. Um, so some of the things we do in school really starts off with unpacking the stereotypes and unpacking what it is to be a man. Um, when we do that in schools, we do something called a word race. That involves basically lining up two rows of schoolboys and saying to each of them, we're going to play a word association game. I'm going to say a word, and then as a team doing a relay race, you have one minute to write down as many of the words as you can that you associate with that game. Um, you know, we do practice round, breakfast, go, and it's one, you know, bacon, cereal, whatever. And then we do the same thing with men, and the same thing with women. Um, do you want to guess what the most popular word is for men? Cock. We've got cock. We have women. <laughs> Sexy, that's... Tough. Tough. Strong. 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 Tough. Okay, the answer is strong, which is very similar to tough. Um, yeah. And for women, anyone? Weak. Weak. Crying. Gentle. Gentle. Hear a lot. Or like pretty or something like that. Yeah. If only they were writing gentle. <laughs> the number one for women is boobs. Um, boobs or tits or something of those types. Um, we we sort of aggregated all of the words that we had over the first year of the project. Um, on the male side, strength came out, number one, by a country mile, followed by different words that could mean strength, like bravery, courage, um, tough, 
Um, then we had, you know, the, all the synonyms for penis, um, followed by a few other things to do with um, maybe fighting. The girls, overwhelmingly sexual and objectifying, um, with boobs, followed by various synonyms for vagina, um, legs, hair, makeup. Emotional is the next one. Emotional, I might add. Sorry, I was supposed to be pointing in your face. <laughs> Emotional always is a negative thing. Um, it's sort of that's something that was like that's very much uh, considered a bad thing. Um, within those words, as you may have already guessed, you've got on one side the physical and the objectifying, the sexualized versus natural characteristics of doing things. But also in, in the times where sort of characteristics verbs maybe did come up for each side, they're very dichotomous. Um, if there was emotional written on each side, it would be because men aren't emotional and women are. Um, if you had um, sort of brave written on each side, it's because men are always brave, yeah. Um, whereas women, it's because, oh, this one time I saw this woman and she did this thing that I thought was quite brave. And you know, it comes with this whole explanation. Um, the reasons for these um, is something that we will discuss. Um, I think. You can guess a lot of them, it comes from so much socialisation. Um, I think through this work I've seen a lot of the impact of what people generally call the battle of the sexes coming into the workshop in the school place. With this idea that if you go in and talk to some boys and say like, well this isn't what we say straight away, but after a while we'd be saying, you know, let's talk about what it means to you to be a man. Straight away there's this idea of, well it means, you know, it's something about women that I'm not. It's sort of this real, like, there can't be any mixing, there can't be any overlap, and also that the masculinity is precious, it's, it's important, and that you've got to win, as it were, over what is considered feminine. Um, in the last couple of talks, and for those of you who are in the room, we had a lot of these discussions in relation to militarism, um, in terms of the language around um, boot camps and masculinity, and saying, you know, her words around. Uh, the insults were, were very, the drawing insults were to do with female anatomy or just you woman um, sort of came out there. This can sort of quite easily be drawn back to these stereotypes uh, that we have from young people. Um, looking at where they come from is a much harder topic um, and one that we hope to dive into a bit now. Um, so, what we're going to do is do, we're not going to do the race because, you know, we're adults and that's used as an energizer for 13 years. Um, but we will do um, a word discussion, um, if that's alright. So, we'll have, um, again, we're going to split into a couple of other groups. Um, Apologise for people who, you know, really want to sit down and listen, but this is all about getting involved. Um, and I know that when I'm at conferences, I always get a bit fed up with, like, not being able to say my thing. So, I'm going to attempt to tear a piece of paper off this without ripping it. Um, which is like, this is, I honestly went on a facilitation course the other day, and he said, this is one of, I've seen messed up already. He said, this is one of the hardest things to do as a facilitator, <laughs> is tearing off the chart paper. <laughs> Oh, I Okay, so if we can have about half the group come over this way towards this wall. So I don't know where half is, roughly I reckon this line here. Um, could stand over here. 
And then, so the other half come here of Naz. Um, I'll be working this week. Okay, so, right, the word we're going to be doing and playing word association with is so don't tell the other group what it is. Um, so what sort of words would you associate with soldier? Good. Good. Oh. Army. Moving around. Okay. Uh, I don't know what they call it. Uh, it's not marching, it's someone who's not in one place. Nomadic. Yeah, nomad. What would you say makes a, a good soldier? What traits would you associate with someone being a good soldier? Heroic. Loyalty. Patriotism. Discipline. Oh yeah. Observant. Observant. Resilient. I don't know what context you mean by that. Resilient. It's so weird that I'm seeing a lot of parallels between this and medicine. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Regret. No, but I mean like resilient, fair, okay. honest, team. Emotions attached. To an extent. Groups and teams. Fraternity and camaraderie. Anything. Well, what makes a good... What kind of bonds everyone together? What sort of traits do you think? Do you see any kind of link with that? And what we're talking about? Vision. Vision? Shared vision. Goal. Mm. Obedience. Motivation. Motivation. 
the enemy. Yeah, yeah fear. The <laughs> threat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought emotionally detached was quite an interesting one. Um, do you think the best soldiers maybe are emotionally detached? Well, how you define best? Yeah. 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 Okay. It's what their job is. In their training, they're normally trained to be emotionally attached to their comrades, but emotionally detached from the people they're expecting mm. to shoot. They do their family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good to be objective, isn't it? In a lot of jobs, it's good to at least be able to see things yeah. from an objective point of view. Yeah. You know, not to always like see things through your own paradigm only. Then, yeah, objective can mean like to see it from the other side. But I can't think of the word that means yeah, yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> No, focused. Focus. Taking away goodness or effectiveness out of it, just what you immediately think when you think, wow, it's a group of soldiers. Uniform. Violent. So I realise my handwriting is forgotten. Um, any others? Maybe something about like respect. Intimidating. Yeah, no, I get that all the time. That's what we end the conversation. <laughs> So it's interesting, we were talking a little bit earlier about the idea of militarism and the terms you'd use and the ideas. Can you see any linkage between the terms you've come up with and some of the things that, I don't know if all of you were in the room, Julia was doing the second talk about the kind of linguistics and the sort of characteristics that people use or define soldiers by. Do you see any linking with what you guys have come up with and what we were talking about earlier? What sort of words do you think kind of overlap that we've got here? That's good. Potentially, potentially. So, is there anything that you kind of associate, you know, in terms of militarism and, and military and soldier? And, Maybe like the heroic. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I mean, we've got you know traits like brave and violent and, and scary in combat. It's quite interesting when we kind of think of the traits that normally one would associate with masculinity. A lot of them kind of overlap with some of the ones that we've come up with here. And the, the, the other side, you just have a little look over there. They've done that. Their word was mad. So even if you look over, they've got strong, rational, unemotional, detached. Those words, when we do these in school, those are always the words that come up when we say, 
what do you guys associate with being a man? What words do you come up with being a man? And words like detached or, you know, kind of the comradeship of the You go into schools and, you know, I, I went to a, a boys' school and it was very much that idea of you're at one with your brothers and there's the fraternity and it's all a very similar idea in the words like, you know, detached and tough, non-caring, all that sort of stuff, are, are words that we see quite a lot. So, ことあるんですか。ハウドユーリーゴーのカバーだ。ハウドユーハウドユーマイビーディフェンスフォーマイデーズオフオフワンウィシーズウィメンユーノウィオフェンプレイディスワードベースウィーンウィプットワードウォー
or used to describe it, a female. I do think some boys probably feel quite restricted by this. Like I think there, you know, there are certainly, especially I would imagine as they get to be, you know, teenagers and other things, if they find themselves, you know, finding it easy to connect with others and read other people's emotions, they probably do feel a bit like, you know, this is almost abstractly a positive trait, but, you know, because I'm a boy, I shouldn't be like this kind of thing. It's, it's actually quite interesting to know that when some boys put up words where, you know, if, if ever someone uses emotional to describe a boy or tough to describe a girl, it's always with a caveat of almost apologising for it. It's like emotional, but but not 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 like too much though. Like you know, I, I watched it, I, I watched up, you know, whatever. It was a bit sad or like last not last last weekend I had a little. But boys have to do that because of the pressure of male partners mm. because they know they're going to get stigmatised for it. Mm. Hence the reason for apology straight away when you're mm. given a beneficial comment about a female. And, and who do you think stigmatises it? Society. Society in general? Yeah. I think nowadays it's very relative, these issues. But I think nowadays as a guy that made that comment about it's a societal issue, I think they're really confused, men especially, about their gender role and where they fit into society because of the media and stuff like that. And it's really confusing because, yeah, that's really confusing them. And he, I was kind of surprised he admitted that because you don't really get men admitting stuff. Like he said, they're unemotional and stuff like that. Can I just ask just very basically, what, what do you guys, what's the general feel? Are you medics or coming from the security side or students? Or Medical students, yeah. <laughs> so, how have you found that kind of societal... Um, box, if you like, how has that changed over your I think as a, as a medic, it's really interesting to see how women have changed in, in that, and it's reflected on our medical school quite a lot, like, oh, you all used to be boys, and now you're all women, and it's reflected in um, our teaching and in our pay, mm. and so you look at women's pay, uh, sorry, doctor's mm. pay has gone down, as there's more women in it, um, and I think the way people talk about female medical students and their behaviours compared to male medical students and how you're channeled into particular job roles within yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. Women are all going to go into this and men are going to go into that. Yeah. The, the, yeah. There's the constant debate about women in surgery and how people, the female surgeons are like, oh, well, they're behaving like men yeah. if they get to the top yeah. and how they treat everyone. Mm. But, yeah. but it's, it's talked about quite a lot. Yeah. Kind of the yeah. I find it really generational. I find it the older consultants, especially the men, there's always like the end of placement chat about like whether or not this is a good career beyond yeah, yeah. children. Whereas the younger female consultants are just like, do we want? It's just like badass. You can do anything. Like teaching you, yeah, like generalizing and like making like like direct about your gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when they when they yeah. take you round a ward round or something, yeah. and they need to examine a male patient. They all like, I'm sure you won't mind. I think if you put a girl, a pretty girl. Yeah. Oh, we've got some lovely ones with this. I think if you put doctor, then come up with similar. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can conveniently stick this to my arm. <laughs> which is which is a marvelous invention. Um, so, um, I know that uh, Nazi side has discovered what word we are associating with. Can anyone from my side?
quickly have a look at these words and guess what the associate word they were told to write was. It might be the same. If you can't read any words, I can clarify. For me, it's the same. For you, it's the same. Soldier over there. Anyone else? These are positive male. More positive male? Okay, well, we've actually already got the correct answer. It was soldier. Um, and it's very telling that you said, for you, they're the same. Um, which is actually, um, you made the last point in the talk previously, that when talking about militarism and the soldier, a lot of those um, ideas you couldn't tell a difference between, which is something that I find uh, very telling. Um, yeah, we've got, in terms of... Can you come up for a second? Um, so how many of those have come up here? We, I mean, guess we got strong. strong. Have we got um, unemotional? We've got detached. 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 We also rationals on there. Rational uh, leader. Yeah. I guess um, pride. I guess that comes up in heroic or patriotic, maybe sort of related. Yeah. So not quite the same. And dominant, dominating, quite hard to not have that in a soldier context, I imagine. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, then we've got some of like laid back, which is maybe not so good for a soldier. <laughs> <in the UK. laughs> um, but, um, and squalor, which, yeah, arguably. <laughs> um, and maybe deluded. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what does, does it, who has something to say on that because I mean as I said I want this to be as much your discussion as it can but if the same words that we're using to describe a man which I might add are pretty much the same words as come up when we ask boys aged 12 to 18 to describe a man are also what would make a soldier what's that saying about one up culture and two about where these stereotypes come from and what they do Movement. Oh, so I just go over here first and then come back home. I think, um, well, as you grow up in most of our society, we socialize about particular things and the things we associate with, with particular careers, for example, we are socialized to know that particular careers are for men and therefore there should be no women. So every time you think about a particular career, for example, a professional, like a soldier, the first thing that comes up will be similar to what we think about the men, because we think underlying reason is they should be men. So therefore, we have similar. Mm. Very much like this. Um, I just thought it was quite interesting what you said about, you say positive man or something? Yeah, I yeah. thought that. Well, I was wondering if, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. we feel, one of the words that I notice is on the man board, but not the soldier board, is, is caring. And it's quite interesting looking at that, you know, phrase of, you know, stronger man or better man or whatever else, or a more positive view of what a man is. And, and caring is not on there. Has anyone got any views on the idea of an, an emotional or, or caring person and the kind of values you'd add to that. Mm. Can a soldier be caring? Do, so is that a hand up or a sister? I think that actually men as caring has changed. It's only in the last 
spent in my lifetime. So I support my mum went back to work when I left or my dad or some of my primary caregiver. But I think as a child, seeing him as the only dad at the school gates to now seeing to stereotype young men in their tracksuits walking down with pink buggies as quite a common thing. I think that's people were quick kind of and it being okay to be carrying in that way alongside other traits. I think that's quite interesting. Thank you. I was going one, two, three, that one, and four. So yes. I think it's quite interesting because I do agree that I think it's changed. And in terms of like the men I know that kind of around my age, it's almost seen like if men are not comfortable sharing their emotions and not comfortable showing empathy and you know being in touch with their emotional side that's almost seen like a point of weakness nowadays you know like for a man to be feminist and to be open about his feelings that's almost seen as a point of strength among some men my age because it's like he's comfortable going against these traditional notions of masculinity because he's secure in you know who he is and his identity yeah before this comes to the next question i just want to ask if that's something that i i, I can relate to um, if anyone can't hear just repeat that it's something a bit of a, a status or it's a positive for men to say oh i'm, I'm comfortable with my emotions and so forth but sometimes I find that men then revert back to some of the old stereotypes and try to own that mm. and be like, I'm more emotionally yeah. secure than you. And it's sort of like, whoa, dude. Like, yeah, okay, we get it. Um, there's a great little internet meme saying, um, I'm totally secure in my sexuality and I'll beat the crap out of anyone who denies that. <laughs> so these dichotomies which do come up, and one of the ones that I found with the care one as well, like looking after children, I think I would agree that sort of, I'm, I'm seeing more men as sort of doing some of the, the caregiving role. But, and I'd love to hear anyone else who's got a lot of friends of, uh, who are parents uh, beyond this. Often you hear men saying that um, they're babysitting. Yeah. 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 So and so it's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm being a mother. And now my partner who like, made this baby with me is doing exactly the same thing. What are you doing? Babysitting. You know, like, that, that's your child. Sorry, um, I, we're coming back to Hansi. Well, I was going to add on to this caring because immediately, like, caring can, you know, when you say caring, it's not just fatherhood, but that's what we sort of immediately talk about. And I think it's it's sort of this full circle because caring can be then, um, these attitudes can be propagated, whether positively or negatively, by the father and the family unit. And I went to a very interesting um, talk. It was last year, and it was the State of the World's Fathers, and it was the first. Um, oh yeah, and it was the first time that anyone had a, like anyone had published a global report about fatherhood and roles and caring and how we transform the role of a, a, a gentle, caring, whatever sort of father, and how that actually in terms, uh, in turn, then sort of um, helps humankind and womankind as, as, as well. And so um, I just thought it was really interesting that these roles are kind of propagated by the father. But, um, thing we talk about when we talk about caring. Yeah. Uh, so I just got an order of hand, so over here and then over here and then back to June. Hello. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the exercise and I was just kind of toying around with doing it um, with like healthcare professional and thinking of um, mm. attributes that might make up that and I kind of realised that a lot of the work and the antithesis of what we came up for the for the man, for example, especially squad, you know, um, and I was, I was kind of that, um, Tying that in with the increase in women, the increase in doctors, and everything. Yeah, thank you. And um, I actually spoke to someone recently who um, from the Men's Health Forum and said that he was disappointed that um, they, uh, that I think it was MPs voted against the extension of the uh, seven-day week for doctors. Um, and I was like, I was a bit surprised by that. Um, his reason being that men are far more likely to seek medical care 
medical care on the weekend, um, which, like, I would always say, you know, just, well, just tell work you have, you have to take time off. But because of so many of these issues being so ingrained with a lot of men, and especially the one that we're talking in our group about refusal and fear to ask for help, a lot of men don't want to be seen to be out of the office because then they'll be like, a competitor's going to overtake me. Um, or to be asking, like, you know, to publicly be saying I've got a medical condition. Um, men are much less likely to seek help for medical conditions, especially mental health. So, thanks for that point. Are you next? I was just going to go back to the original question of what I link those two sheets of paper, and I suppose it suggests that the masculinity was created specifically for the purpose of violence, and maybe that would be a survival thing at some point, but it's been sort of several thousand years of still glorified as and everything, so that masculinity is just so geared towards killing, and that's the only thing it's ever been struggling for, but now there's, I mean, there's still a lot of necessity for it, but it's a less kind of every man must fight for themselves and must fight to protect what is his, so it's, it's like you lost in our modern world that there are all these instincts with sort of nowhere to, to channel them a lot of the time. Mm. I absolutely agree. Um, why, why are these still the ones that people come up with? I mean, this is archaic. And when we're working in schools, about two hours into the conversation, we tend to turn around to the boys and say, you know, well, these are the things that you've said as masculinity. And we've been discussing with them, you know, how these can be negative and how they can hurt us. And then you say, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't consulted on this. You know, where, where has this come from? How have we inherited it? And yeah, it goes back to old things. But I also wanted to add to that something the caring idea of things. And when, I mean, it's one of the areas where sexism works in favour of women, which is custody of children. And that's something I never really see discussed. And I've had it to do that it is a lot of the time automatically custody is given to the mother, and then men suffer for these characteristics and this sort of thing against them and that they can't assume this caring, they're not perceived to be caring, mm. so therefore they lose their children a lot of the time. <coughs> terrible and isn't discussed enough. Yeah, yeah, it's some um, complex debate that I've yeah, had a lot of um the, the, you know, familiar with men's rights activism. Anti-feminist psychopaths. Who I've yeah had this discussion with and they were saying, you know, that's no, I'll, I'll avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> so think, looking at the, the man board, um, it's quite interesting. I just sort of intimidated by women and how that fits into you know, dominant, dominating, pride, leader, but yet intimidated by women. How? So that, was, that? that was me. I was just first off the bat. It, it just said, "Can you just give me something about men?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> and some, like maybe the, one of the only negative traits that I've come into contact with are intimidated, usually by mm. me or a lot of my female friends. Uh, that's the only. I, I'm quite intrigued by by that because yeah. it's almost there seems to be a correlation between you know perhaps the traits that you might describe as dominating or, or, or proud or whatever else in being intimidated by women and I don't know you mentioned earlier that the kind of your your friendship group or the lads you know probably are a bit more emotional do you think they would say would, would those guys the project, oh, no, they would still be intimidated by women definitely I think it's because there's such a traditional role for men to be these kind of like strong protectors who like make all the money and everything else and part of this is probably that I am a medic and we're now seeing more and more you know female doctors female consultants 
And I do feel like that traditional man's role is being more and more infiltrated by women who are earning more money, having you know better careers. Um, but I think the kind of parenting sphere, like you said, hasn't changed at quite the same rate. So it's almost like women are still doing a lot of the domestic chores and looking after the children, but now we're also having the careers, you know, we're starting to get into politics, we're making more money. So I do feel like some young people say, well, where, where is the man's place anymore? We're going to have to speak up a little bit just there, Bing. Just uh, way too right. um, that, that, that seems such a more macro view than what I thought you meant of, you know, like a 15-year-old boy being like, oh, God, I can't speak to them because they're really scary. So you're the other side of the school disco. But, um, yeah. Um, I'm just going to say... All your points in relation to this one. Okay. In between. Okay. So can I take your three points and then back to Julia, whose question was? Yeah. I mean, it might be it's going back to the caring thing. So I don't know if we want. Okay. Well, I think that's what we're discussing a bit. So we'll go over over here. I think just also that thing about women being related to men also feeds into female gender stereotyping and what's negative and positive for women within society. So saying that um, you know, intelligent women are intimidating and all particularly young women, you don't want to be seen as that because yeah. they want to be sexy and attractive. Mm. I actually remember um, an A-level um, teacher of mine when I got my A-level saying, oh, you know, well done for results, really brainy, good luck finding a boyfriend. <laughs> Which really feeds into that, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you've got four A's, but that's yeah. not what men want. Yeah. Our society <laughs> is so patriarchally yeah. dominated that women are actually now encouraged to your life has to be revolved around yeah. polishing a man's ego. You're not allowed to be, um, you know, better or intimidating because that's what this patriarchal society says. I'm just realising, can we try and bring this chairs in a bit of a circle? I'm seeing a lot of people can't really hear. Um, let's bring it in a bit of a semi-circle back in front. Okay, um, hands up. Um, you've been waiting for a really long time. So. And you, you see it as well, um, Hillary Clinton, she'll, she'll give a speech that's like borderline the exact same as Obama's and his will be progressive and <laughs> confident, hers will be bossy and shrill. Um, you know, it, like that, that happens should be ter- like illegal. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to like open this thought to everyone, just the idea of, um, you know, how certain like strong ethical structures like you get in Christian communities or Baha'i communities, how, how these kind of things are challenged and how like they are actually diluted. I feel like a lot of kind of the, these male traditional, I don't know what you call it, they kind of are diluted by these more unified cooperative cultures like the family is Quaker kind of behind I'm just I'm just saying that like I just wanted to talk about how you have 
if you have if you bring something like Christianity into someone's world and how that kind of pushes out or prevents these things from coming in that could be very negative. And if that's a positive or a negative or just if people have experienced that because I certainly have. My, my experience is opposite. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, I'm not saying, I'm just saying when we look for solutions and we look for helping guiding young people, what, what do people, what do people use, what do people... These male stereotypes are embedded yeah. in Christianity. They are. Yeah, yeah. 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 totally. So this is actually one of the discussions that will be going on to have the last sort of 10-15 minutes of the session on... Alternative. Yeah. Like what, Exactly. What can we do? Where can we? Where can we go? Another and the existing ones, which some I'm just going to go one, two, and two. oh yeah. Sorry, you've had a hand. Okay. Um, is it Mark? Yeah. It's, it's just when you talk about alternatives, and I heard you say earlier on that you you've worked with about three thousand boys or something like that, and um, and I really I really like what I think what you're doing is really needed but there's a there's an area that I kind of that I'm really struggling with at the moment is this um, kind of gender binary of boys and girls men and women and how that marginalizes a hell of a lot of people so if you've been talking to 3,000 boys you know if you're talking in binary terms then you've been educated then you've been talking to them in this binary ideology when I guarantee a lot of them don't even fit into that. Yeah. So I'm just how do you how do you work with this because it's so needed, but at the same time recognise the the diversity that we have in terms of gender and and, how, and sexual expression. Well, we use non heteronormative language for all of our workshops and non heteronormative language. So the presumption that everyone is heterosexual. Um, for instance, saying like you know when you're getting with a girl, that's heteronormative. We say you know we talk about person. We always use person um, and. Um, we always try to explain that you know people of any we use language like people of any gender, which is a great starting point for them. People are like, what do you mean? And then we're like, well, and then we'll go ahead and explain. Um, I, I've come really into I use this language like way too much when I'm with an adult group, but the reason being is that especially when you're working with people from sort of below the age of 16, they will just they'll go back to to boys and girls a lot of the time, and so we'll use that language. But then when we sum up, when we talk back, we always say, but remember. People may not uh, identify with that gender. People um, are not always um, heterosexual. You know, they, they would explain the, the spectrums of sexuality and gender. Um, so yeah, it is something that we we are aware. Of. We've worked with trans boys in um, in the workshops, um, but the reason really being is that schools are aware of the, the way in which children act as binary, and so we've got to go into a binary world and talk to them about what's going on there so that we can then start to unpack it and move on. So, yeah, it might feel very much sort of there's only men and women, boys and girls, but we have to kind of get into that conversation first so we can then draw out the points. Yeah. I'm going to have a hand up over here and then you and you. Yeah, it's maybe following on from that point, really. I think you were going, you said you'd go through these uh, word associations with boys and then later you say, what would you say if you could if you're doing <laughs> What boys maybe should be doing, so you come up with this uh, idea very commonly of be yourself, whatever. And I wonder, is that really criti critiquing this idea of masculinity? Because actually that's quite a masculine idea. It's, you know, stand up for yourself, don't be pushed around. Um, it's actually, it's within the stereotype in a way. I wonder. Yeah, well, like, I mean, they say something like be yourself, be your own person, but it's like, this is the first activity in three hours of different activities and so throughout the session we have a lot of discussions about how these stereotypes impact us so we talk about 
the negative impacts of violence, we discuss homophobia, um, consent, representation in the media, mental health, and all through those we're helping them to understand how these can have negative consequences. So by the end when they're saying, I want to be my own person, not someone who's ruled by what we tend to call the man box, because that's, the man box is an easier way of saying the accepted norms of patriarchal society that a man is expected to rule like live out. Um, so like, that's how we kind of take them apart. So yeah, the idea of being proud and able to do whatever you can by yourself would be very patriarchal in that respect, but our conversation is more about sort of, you know, how can you escape these, these factors that are around you. So when they say be yourself, they mean don't feel that you have to live by these and don't feel that because another boy says oh you've got like red shoes on that's gay that you know that you should one that you should listen to that because it's homophobic and it's like aggressive but also that you know this idea that because of the judgment that someone else has placed upon you you therefore have to act in that way um you would be waiting patient it was just to come back briefly to the uh, the health side of uh, the, 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 the discussion um, and talk about the health system and when we look at the NHS and we look at the gender difficulties and the gender inequalities that exist in the NHS and then how that alone with the amount of staff in the NHS and how it's uh, so closely integrated in our society and community, how that actually influences um, society with these issues as well. Thanks. Um, I'm sure everyone, a lot of people have comments on that, so I'm just going to take one more point here. It's more a question to everyone, but, but on, our, on our green list we wrote smart as a soldier characteristic. And I wanted to ask you in your experience, um, how is, is it the same sort of binary between boys and girls? Because you, you brought up, you know, it's not a feminine trait to be overly intellectual, but in my experience, teenage boys don't necessarily want to associate with that either. So I was just wondering how these teenagers grapple with that and how then that goes. I found, found an interesting one of that actually, which is that as I mentioned earlier, girls are outperforming boys in every subject in the UK, um, particularly up to GCSE level, it might change a little bit after that, but largely because girls are encouraged through gendered means to not uptake STEM subjects, um, STEM is science, technology, engineering and maths. Um, one of the things that we often find coming up is there might be a kind of silent acknowledgement that girls are doing best in the class. Like a lot of the boys know it because you know they know who's getting the best grades. Um, but that turns around into this idea of if I if we can't be the best in that respect, if we're not the smartest in the class, what we're gonna do, we're gonna fall back on these and we're gonna own being like, yes, lowest in the class. Or you know, that type of mentality comes up. And also this idea of sort of then young boys um, they want um, affirmation um, and praise just as much as anybody else. They might not be getting it from their teacher for their grades. Um, so where are they going to get it from? Well, you fall back on these things and you start to mess around. And it's also an explanation of why the school system might favour girls because of socialisation from a young age, girls are encouraged to, to be quiet and helpful. You know, you've all heard surely someone say, oh, she's such a good little girl, she's always helping her mum. Whereas a boy like comes running and covered in mud and says something funny, everyone's like, oh, here comes trouble, the little <laughs> scamp, you know, and you get your affirmation and praise for that behaviour. Now that continues straight into school, and so being disruptive can be the thing that the boys feel they're getting affirmation for. And what's better than being disruptive? It's being disruptive against the girls, because they live in this binary world. So that's kind of how they take that one. And also, I think, you know, the, the kind of common thread of, you know, for, especially for boys, the, the ability to ask for help is, is quite tricky. So, 
you know, if you're if you don't get something, if you you know the the, the thought of putting up your hand and saying, sorry, I don't understand, can you please explain that again? It can be quite intimidating for people, uh, especially for young boys. So in that way, it's almost better to take ownership and uh, and just say, well, do you know what? I, I don't get it. It's fine. I'm just going to you know have a laugh instead because that that process of asking for help is the big barrier for them. Mm. And, that, and that's the same, I'm sure, in, in your field of medics that you might have come across and, you know, um, and mental health and all that stuff. The idea of asking for help can, be, can often be the biggest barrier of all. Um, we've got ten minutes left before we hand back. Um, so I'd like to move on to getting a discussion going about what we feel we could do to perhaps change this. Um, one point I'd like to make, as, as a nice little segue, is we've got the word grit here on the soldiers one. Now, grit is an interesting term. What it means is, is difficult. Um, some, a lot of people say it's part of determination. So it's, it's gritty. Like when, when he gets in trouble, he keeps going. And, you know, nothing can stop him. Um, grit is actually one of the uh, British values that the government wants to instill in our schools. <laughs> <laughs> grit is one of the British values that the government wants to instill in our school children. We recently applied for an educational grant um, from the Department of Education, which fell under the promoting British values thing. Now we disagree with those entirely, but we need money. So there we were. Um, wrote a proposal for this. Bearing in mind that our workshop is three hours of talking to boys in small groups about topics like violence, consent, homophobia, pornography, mental health. Um, we later found out that the organisation that got most of the money from that grant was an organisation that was teaching values through fencing. Fencing as in this thing with the parry repasse, not making a wall. Yeah. That's what we're kind of up against here. So that's like, you know, I find that incredibly regressive. I thought, you know, in terms of where masculinity is. And from having spoken to some teachers at uh, the NUT recently, they were saying that they were, cut, they were sort of retired from teaching in the 90s and now were working in the NUT. And they said, you know, in the preceding 50, 25 years since I left, Said we never thought it would be this bad again. Like they thought that you know they had worked so hard to tackle sexism, and now they're in a really bad situation again. Like we are, I hope, like here to say we're in trouble. Um, something needs to be done. So I can see you're really desperate to Sorry, make a point. Sorry, I just wondered what your opinion is. Like this thing about grits and this like the policy of resilience. Are these just words to say? Yeah, the government, we're going to shit on you, and we're going to take away your resources, and we're going to take away you know, <laughs> um, the support groups and charitable movement or whatever. Yeah. I just think these words written resilience are just. I, I would agree. Because, you know, be proud to, to live in the shit house because we're not going to take it. Yeah. Um, okay. I just did a study about the word, I can't remember, but it was like a TED talk about grit and the study that came up with that, maybe one of the key studies about it. And it was talking about how like they did a long-term study on kids and how much work they do and their school patterns. I don't know if it was about boys or girls or just a mi probably a mixture, but they determined grit as like the number one like criteria for success in the long run and grit in terms of staying power and determination. So obviously not in the same way that you mentioned, mm. but like I don't know, maybe there is some truth in the word, not just in the not in terms of accepting the situation, but like it's people that work really hard even if they're worse than they, they do better in the long run because they just do it more. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, sort of, I mean, I have to see the talk and hear more info. But yeah, I get a sort of... Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Cool. Um, but I think that um, both points are really relative to one of the first things that I'd hear about, like, what we could perhaps start to do to change this. 
which is that the narrative there is around language. Um, language is a very powerful way of promoting these things. I used that example earlier of such a good little girl versus here comes trouble. Like right there, you've created, like there's the next 60 years of your life you've been socialized. Um, and with boys, it often just takes a look. Um, it's sort of the story of um, a boy going to uh, a party dressed as a princess, I heard recently, and all the other boys dressed as action man and stuff, and he walked in, and the other boys who were his friends were just like, you know, the language says it all. His childhood was stripped from him at that point. Now this is the day you start becoming a man. You understand these things. This is what we do. This is our environment. We, you want us to be your friends? You accept this look from me and you realise what that means. Because right now you're taking off that princess dress and you're a man now. Like, that's how it happens. It's harsh. Um, and it's done by the patriarchy, uh, which is a horrible, horrible word, which is why we need more feminists. Um, which is also a solution to this problem. Um, so we'll get to in just a sec. Um, so yeah, uh, it's important as well that when we talk about these things, a lot of people struggle with the idea of patriarchal norms that can dictate so many of these things. Um, as we were saying earlier with A-levels, there's still this world in which someone says, like, you can't be too clever because you can't bruise a man's ego. That's a patriarchal norm. Not necessarily promoted by every single man, but also in a lot of men's inaction to stand up against it, they are also passively allowing that to exist. So it's a complex thing. Um, I'd say that because in schools you have to be very careful about not using blaming language. I think that when, ch when people are under the age of 18, particularly under the age of 16, they are children. Um, and so I'm not asking, why have you done this? What has happened to you that has made you act in this way? Um, and what has happened to them is patriarchal life has taken over. It's the same as the therapeutic care that people use in childcare. Um, so, I'm going to write language, and you had a yeah. You know, so I read a story on the internet, where else, about oh, um, like a young boy who wanted for Halloween to dress as like Princess Elsa from Frozen, and his dad was worried that something like that would happen, so his dad dressed up as Princess Elsa as well, and I think it's that kind of like role modelling, mentoring, kind of, you know, maybe as adults if we step outside of these roles. That is can be really effective for kids. It's about creating a different paradigm, isn't it? Yeah. A different narrative from what it is to be a human being. Mm. Yeah. I think I saw that as well, and what struck me was that it went viral. You know, yeah, that, everyone that, loved it. <laughs> no, but th th that is noteworthy. You know, in a way that because that happened, that's that's so irregular that everyone around the world yeah. is sharing that because that's it was such a unique case. You know, um, yeah. that's one thing that struck me. It's fantastic, and it should be commonplace in a way. Like, that's like, it's not yeah. as positive it's sort of cross dressing idea because a load of teenage guys will dress up as women because it's something funny because mm. it's degrading for them because it's like oh hilarious that mm. moment and that's a lot less positive. Yeah. I saw the same story though. Yeah. 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 Um, who else has got some ideas? We've got um, what, technically four minutes, but Hannah's in charge, so whenever you get bored. <laughs> um, can you just tell me again what we're doing on the board? So this is in terms of we've been talking about these norms and how they exist and. What might we be able to do to start combating them or facilitating change? Yes? Um, I just say it sounds really cheesy, but in your everyday life, support and compliment and, and treat everyone in the same way. Like, support people and, and nourish them. Because people have needs, and the reason that people are behaving like this is because their needs aren't being met. So if you, if you really engage with people and you try and push all of that blur aside, 
Yeah, being appreciative and, and supportive. Can I write? Originally, you st did he say in the way you want to be treated? Um, or yeah, it could. Yeah, could be. Okay. Um, I, so I, I want to write the right way, but I feel that's cheating. <laughs> Um, in terms of mental health, we did a series of testimonial events in the and they were meant to be just for men and men speaking and like a mixed audience but like trying to get men to talk and only one person signed up. So it was like some women and a man, man talking. Then the next event it was all men. So like people did come forward after that and yeah, there was more of a turnout the second time. So people asked. So that was in mental health. Um, Testimonial events and like just the power of seeing one person speak that kind of gets more people talking. Okay. And we just saw that over different events. Um, yeah, it's not the greatest. Um, don't worry, we'll survive. Um, more testimonial events. And was th was there anything around gender in that? that yeah. So oh, you mean in terms of the. So Did we you say it was only one man? Yeah, we wanted, we wanted it to be men talking because that doesn't happen as much and only one person volunteered but then the second event, it was all, like we had a full panel. Yeah. Sorry, you had your hand up now. Oh, I think you had your hand up. Okay, I think we have to use the media as an avenue because most of the teenagers and the youngsters are very um, embracing of, of the media itself. So the way media portrays men or women and their roles is very important for these children. Because the fact that they don't turn to the parents yeah. for some of the things, they turn to the media. Yeah. So we have to use the avenue that they use most. Um, for example, one of these days I was watching a movie called Along Came Manani. And if ever any of you has watched it, this man came, joined the community, it was a detective movie anyway, and he was a nanny. And everyone couldn't believe it that he was a nanny. But what happened was he was successful compared to the female one. So just to portray some of these things that they can be challenged. Sometimes you don't have to talk to them, but if you show them something, they they like entertainment more than just teaching them. It's quite interesting you mentioned that because one of the exercises we do, um, we call it the mood board, where we give the boys, you know, some magazines and papers and try and find examples of men and examples of women in the papers and you know, cut them up and stick them on a board. And invariably, you know, for the most part, the, the men are kind of you know, really strong sportsmen or whatever else or in kind of uh, cologne adverts where they're in suits looking like Bond or whatever else, and, you know, watch adverts. Whereas the women are more often than not, you know, especially in advertising, you know, scantily clad or like very, very little or in a kind of very subordinate role. So the media is incredibly... But also, I would, I would like to say that we have to very to be very cautious about what we do when we divide, when you're having um, interventions mm. that are targeting a particular gender mm. and not the other. Because we are going to create the same problem that were brought about by the movement of the weed, guard, weed word uh, evolution. Because now we have the women's movements coming up and picking up at a very high speed, and we're having the, the men being left out completely. So we have to keep try to sort of balance, find ways of involving the other gender, because the, the, boys, the, the boys don't live in this society by themselves. They live with the other gender. So once in a while, make involvement with the other gender and see what happens. 
Um, I've just been told we have to call it, call it to an end, so I'm going to take the last two points, and if they could be quite quick, that would be great. So. I suppose my point was that um, I think you have to recognise who is most impacted by this language, and it's often the most marginalised and vulnerable um, people in our society who often aren't able to like, call out or, or are, are usually impacted by violence because of this language. Like The language in itself can be violent, um, and that recognising the need to, to use, to use our, our privilege to, or like, assuming that there's... there's quite a lot of privilege in, in this room that um, to, to be able to call out when even even like simple things about like like the binary world we live in it can be a, it can be binary oppressive to some people who don't identify as binary and have and, and, and see their identity being lost in so many different structures in our society so I suppose um, yeah it's kind of like recognize that and being hyper I suppose being hyper aware of the impact of language on um, the most passionate brilliant thank you and very quickly the final point um, okay. Um, Pressure, sorry. <laughs> we'll wrap up. <laughs> the penultimate. Um, the media, um, and just say, has anyone seen that um, video of like, small children analysing um, model, models, male models and female models? And when they look at the pictures of the male models, they're like, oh, I want to be his friend. He looks like he's a really good boss, he's really strong. And then the women are like, oh, they look ill, they look like they've just been in a car accident. <laughs> 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 But also, um, maybe we need some advocacy to in, um, ensure there's gender representation in different uh, job roles, and um, whether we should be running legislation or post, like short-term positive discrimination to ensure that representation is there. Great, thank you. Um, um, just going to sadly have to um, wrap it up um, because I've been been told we've run over already. Um, so this is the final final point to say is that um, when it comes to these things, when you do want to to sort of try and make a difference, because it's it's a huge issue, um, trying to make a difference in this can feel really difficult. Um, one of the things I will say is that in my experience working with young young men and boys, and it will be very similar for girls, because the same norms impact them. Is when you actually sit down and discuss it, the things that can come out of that conversation is huge. Your last example is perfect. Ask them about these things, what do they say? So taking the action can make a big difference. I also think that as men, we've already managed to hear it's privilege. I think we have a special responsibility to get involved. I think that as men, if you let comments slide, especially from other men, or if you're seen to allow these things to continue by turning a blind eye, then you are tacitly giving your confirmation and affirmation to them. Um, we're also in a unique position because sadly some men listen more to other men. Like, that's true, that happens, and so use that for good. Don't just sit there and be a backseat passenger. Um, you're welcome to say something because you're seem desperate. You'll be a woman saying, So, thank you very much for kind of humans. You've been lovely. Yeah, I've got to go and help with the cloak crew. So just at the end of, I think she, there's going to be like a short one. Huh? Yeah, it's on now. This is stopped. I've been there. Yeah. Okay.
really interesting. And um, it actually it just made me wish that things like this could be part of the national curriculum uh, in this country if we still have a national curriculum uh, in the future. I'm not sure about that. Um, okay, so. Um, Next, uh, I'm going to hand over to my colleague Yuli Rafael from Safe World, who is going to talk a bit about how similar kinds of activities to these ones, or similar kind of projects, have, um, have been run in countries experiencing conflict and violence. So, kind of trying to bring back to that theme of, of war and militarism. So, over to you, Yuli. Thanks. Sorry for pulling you out of that really, really interesting book. Um, I have decided to change my presentation, probably not to have a real presentation, because I think a lot of the issues, first of all, we, I want to keep a bit of the time for questions and answers in the end, pulling the, the, the two bits together. But also because in the session, um, a lot has been discussed, and I assume it will be together as well, that I would have mentioned anyway. And um, there are actually uh, a lot of similarities between um, how you do your work in the UK and how similar work on gender norms is done elsewhere. Um, I think we don't really have to go through, um, like, in, you talked about like some of those attributes um, uh, for or, or, uh, related to masculinities or then also femininities, so we don't need to talk about that. I think we also kind of get the point that um, if um, the social norm, the social expectation <coughs> is for a man to be more aggressive, to be more dominant, to be more powerful, that that also relates in more violence, whether it's on a interpersonal level, inter, um, intimate partner violence, for example, but then also at a group level, um, violence being acceptable, maybe also to have certain demands, like political or economic demands met, uh, which relates to like violence between political youth groups or between um, gangs. Um, and then that that can also lead, I think, yeah, we have some pictures of gang, well, that's a, a gang of girls, actually, because of course, masculine, masculine attributes, masculine behavior um, can also be displayed by women and girls. Um, but then also that that can play out at the, um, like at the community or national level for more organized violence, for war, um, for, for militarism. So, um, yeah, I don't want to talk that much about what I would actually like to talk about a little bit more is um, that um, I, we had a discussion in the group in the back um, about um, how, like, how, how, why working with, with men and boys. Um, and um, I think what, what some people said and what I would agree to from, from our own experience but also from talking to other practitioners who work in conflict affected contexts is that um, as a really good development, a lot of efforts have been put into working with women, working with girls on women's empowerment. Not enough yet, there's so much more work to be done. But um, there have been specific efforts. Um, but people are not really asking men, obviously men are in a lot of powerful positions, they're decision-making positions, they are often more advantaged when it gets uh, related to having access to education, healthcare, jobs, and so on and so forth. But no one, or hardly anyone ever asks them about how they feel, how they do, and it's often very uncommon for men to be, it's not really acceptable for them to talk about feelings, to talk about that they're sad. Um, to talk, to show um, frust frustration in a non-aggressive way. 
So, um, so talking about those feelings, talking about why um, frustration, sadness, without turning violent, physically violent, is that, that opportunity is really important. At the same time, we also discussed how relevant it is to, if we want to change gender norms, which are norms that are very, like they're, they're not like, I don't have my gender norm. Um, gender norms are, some, is, are very interdependent, so they depend on what others think, what other women think, what maybe what I was brought up with, or what I heard from my mother, but also what my peers, my colleagues um, reflect back to me. It also depends on what other men think. So um, if we talk about, for example, gender norms related to masculinities, obviously um, it matters also what women think. So increasingly um, organizations who work on peace building or, or um, on, on gender norms, on uh, gender equality, they involve both men and women in work that tries to transform gender norms. Um, and that's done in different ways. So in some contexts, it's very similar work like this, where you bring, it's usually done with young people, I think because they have more time, often you have a lot of young people in the countries, in conflict-affected countries, um, and they are often more open to, to discuss those issues. Um, so either you bring both men and women together to do very similar exercises, sometimes you have separate groups, um, only for men, only for women, or only for boys and only for girls, and then you bring them together later to then discuss their expe um, expectations, their experiences, their thoughts, their feelings, about themselves, but also towards the others, or towards the men, or towards the women. And I think also to, to that helps really to also help to balance expectations that you have, or wishes that you have for yourself, expectations that you think others have, um, how you are supposed to behave, both how other men think you should behave, and how other women should uh, think you should behave. And um, for example, um, we do a lot of work in uh, contexts like, for example, Nepal or South Sudan, where we have done work around gender. And if <coughs> the men changed their behavior, um, for example, if they allow, and it's often allowing, their wives to work, to have an income, there is a challenge that then the women's families will say, so you're not a real man, or the women will say themselves, you're not a real man, you can't even take care of your family, you can't even provide for your family. So you need to take the families, you need to take the women with you. The same way that you need to take men with you if you talk about women's empowerment, because otherwise you can have a really strong backlash. So, um, and, and I think you also shared how, how you work together with other organizations who work um, with women on, on similar issues. Um, I think what is also important is this, the, we talked about the question of intersectionality in our group. So um, if you work with, um, like for, for young women or girls, experiences are often different than for older women, uh, same for boys or for, for um, boys from one religious group or from one caste group, ethnic groups, experiences might be very different um, than for boys from other religious groups. Um, wealth plays an enormous role, education plays an enormous role. So to, to really think about those intersecting factors and how they impact on, on gender norms. Um, in terms of, yeah, so 
a different approaches like group education, community outreach, and integrated approaches. That's for example, um, an example from um, from the Balkans where it was um, one purpose was to work on gender norms, but also to bring conflicting youth from conflicting ethnic groups together. Um, this is from some of our work in Nepal. This is from a project called Sasa that was looking at um, addressing HIV AIDS and intimate partner violence through um, uh, work on gender norms. And here, very similar participatory approaches. Like we did, like yeah, this the <coughs> do you agree or disagree? We did the, this like kind of um, mapping of attributes, um, but then also forming like an ideal man and what attributes does such a man have? Where are places that are dangerous for men or women to be? Um, how would you like to see men and women to interact? Or here, I think in this case, it's more about like people with different views. How would you like them to interact and how do they interact at the moment? And then to think about what can you actually do about it. Um, in terms of results, um, and yeah, I'm really rushing through some of those thoughts. Um, in both, I think, here, but also in conflict-affected contexts, you see results at different levels. So you see them at the personal level, um, where you often see that um, people, whether it's, it's men or women, um, they have, they question themselves, they question their own attitudes and behavior a bit more, they are more self-critical, but they also have more confidence often after such work to change and to challenge attitudes and behavior related both <coughs> to gender norms but also to violence and violent behavior. Um, they often have less fear to be seen as a failure, so they, I think they, they are more confident to see that if they don't exactly meet those expectations, that's totally fine. They can be different. These are, I think, these are boxes that we are put into. So if I'm slightly different, that's fine. I'm just not in the box. <coughs> outside the box, that's okay. Um, they have more confidence to reach out to others, to talk to others, to community members, to peers about those issues, and they often get some. There are often capacity building components in those programs. So they have skills on get skills on anger management, communication. Uh, knowledge about laws related to to violence, to gender-based uh, violence as well. Um, and at the interpersonal level, we often see less acceptance of um, the the use of violence or less violence in general at a small scale. And often it's like about like yeah, interpartner violence, uh, intimate partner violence, for example, domestic violence. Um, but um, and then more equality in relationships, or for example, for um, men to say that they would like their wives to, to become more educated, or uh, women to say that they would, they would not be insulted if their husbands, for example, helped them with cooking, which in some contexts can be seen as, very, as an insult that you're not respected as a woman if your husband cooks. Well, actually, it might free up your time to go to school. Um, and then at the intro or intergroup level, um, at the community level, so um, there is uh, there's more challenging of a community or local practices that reinforce gender inequality or violence. We have seen less fighting between groups, for example, like politicized youth who have then gone through such a process and questioned why should we actually fight with those guys who might have exactly the same wishes, the same frustrations that we have, 
it's often people older than us and in powerful positions who want us to fight, who mobilize us for fighting, so is that really necessary? Um, or bridging uh, divides between ethnic groups, for example, in the Balkans, where they started to rebuild trust to talk to each other. Um, and then improved relationships between youth and older generations. This intersectionality again comes in here, because very often, like, yeah, these young people, they're just horrible, they show no responsibility, and so on and so forth. So, like, the older generation sees that actually young people, they do engage on useful things, they, they do reflect upon their own behavior, and they, they also contribute to what, community cohesion, community harmony, whatever. Um, there's more trust, civic engagement, and, and less fear overall. Um, we don't have a lot of findings on how that plays out at more higher level conflict. That's partly because that work is very new. Um, it's, it's very recent that organizations have started to work on gender norms and violence, gender norms and conflict. Um, and it takes time. We, see, we often see quite quick changes in terms of like, oh yeah, now that you say, now that we've gone through this exercise, I'm actually questioning some of what I thought would be right. But really to, to see a change not only in behavior of individuals, but of larger groups, and to see social expectations and social norms change does take a lot of time because you really, you need to work through generations. Um, for an adult, it's probably more difficult to change what they thought for, like, like they, they grew up considering something as right, which might not now be questioned. Um, so that requires a lot of work, starting from a young age, but going through all generations and taking into consideration um, specific needs and sensitivities that people have. And obviously, working with institutions, with governments, um, who might not really have an interest in people not being mobilizable. Um, that is really challenging because a lot of those systems, they rely on these patriarchal structures, power structures. So to, to challenge those systems is difficult. It requires, again, long-term engagement, long-term funding, long-term experience to really see what, what works. And it's, it's not easy, but I think it's, it's absolutely worth a try. And I guess I might just close with that because then we have five minutes. More for questions and answers. So thanks, sorry for watching. Um, yeah, so if anybody has questions, comments, the break after this is an hour and a quarter before the, the um, Kind of plenary uh, session start. So if people if people do want to carry on chatting uh, into some of that break, that's totally fine with us. Um, so yeah, I guess or maybe you're already tired. Everyone's gone kind of quiet. Um, I just wanted to ask one question, which maybe I should have tried in my group, but I, I didn't get around to. But it was about how economics uh, come into this. Uh, one thing, I mean, most of my knowledge of this such, or how I got interested in it, was I do a lot of football coaching. I used to be a player and now a coach in areas where, so a lot of that stuff about boys' attitudes to masculinity and stuff in the army is very similar to football teams, sports teams in general. And um, I've noticed a lot the, there's a kind of correlation between economic marginalisation and the inability to live up to certain masculine roles of, you know, bringing home 
supporting a household or whatever, all these kinds of things, and a, and a tendency to exacerbate other elements of masculinity to compensate. And uh, I haven't really heard that kind of side of things mentioned much today. And I just wonder, you know, and obviously this is a political and economic question. It seems to me that the, the wider the inequality between rich and poor, the more likely it is that some men at the bottom will, will resort to it, sort of hyper-masculinity as a way of compensating for their economic marginalisation. I just wondered if you do any work on that or uh, issues related to that. Um, yeah, I, I, it does definitely play a role because particularly in societies where the man is supposed to be the breadwinner, if and often then that also legitimises the man to take decisions about everything that's happening in the family, whether what, what the wife is allowed to be doing, whether the children will be sent to school, whether both the sons and the daughters will be sent to school, or only the sons or only the daughters. Um, and if then the man doesn't bring home money because he's unemployed, for example, then that all breaks down. So if he doesn't bring home money, how is it justified that he takes the decisions? Um, so that that is a big issue. And, and yes, men try to, well, many men, not all, um, they try to compensate that then through, through other types of, of behavior. Um, so I think also when we then talk about, for example, women's economic empowerment, again, we need to see how does that relate to um, gender relations in the community. So if suddenly the women get jobs, um, which is a positive thing if women have access to, to, to economic resources, obviously, but it's about then also seeing how, what does that do? Will feel men is empowered and does that have negative repercussions? And we see in studies that um, women's economic empowerment, like that there are conflicting findings. In some contexts, it seems that that helps um, to increase gender equality, to reduce gender-based violence. In other contexts, it actually increases gender-based violence. So it's an area where there's yeah, there are conflicting findings at the moment. It's, it's, it's a factor that, yeah, definitely should not be ignored. Hi, thanks for that. Um, you mentioned a little bit about intergenerational change, and um, I'm a little, I, I, work with, I work in obstetrics, and I'm a little bit obsessed with this sort of transmission of, of stereotypes and roles from the parents of the child, and what happens before the child gets born, and it just goes forth. And so sometimes, I know it's not an ideal scenario, but sometimes I feel like targeting hyper-masculinized men and changing their roles is sort of closing the gate after the horse has bolted. So I'm wondering how you approach sort of, well, roles of fatherhood and bringing up um, young children with, uh, I guess, a, a, a different norm, different stereotypes. I mean, massive. Say for what we don't, work specifically on, on fatherhood, but there are a lot of really interesting programs around fatherhood and caring, both in terms of like fatherhood caring for children, how how like, what, what would be like how would you define your role as a husband, your relationship with your wife, but then also caring for, for example, parents, because in, in a lot of contexts the, it's the son who's supposed to care for the parents, which is an important role. And there are a lot of um, really good programs that um, look at, um, I, uh, yeah, we've, I guess we work on gender norms to, to encourage fathers to, to take, or to encourage men to take a, a more proactive and loving and caring role as a father and to see that that is something that is, that is positive, that's of value to their own lives. And then often through those programs you also talk about um, 
other issues related to gender equality or education or healthcare, non-violence. So there are a lot of really, really interesting programs happening at the moment. So if you have questions to David and his colleagues. Um, I was just wondering if um, there's much in kind of, if you could sort of guide us to what there is in the health literature around gender and how um, addressing gender issues might improve health um, either within hospital staff or within the patient population. Because I think a lot of what we're talking about is kind of concepts that make sense to us sitting in this room. But if you wanted to, so for example, I worked in cardiology, if you wanted to talk to my kind of 90% male colleagues about these issues, you maybe would want to go with something a little bit more, um, you know, rational. Yeah, kind of evidence-based, even if it was positive evidence. But I just wondered if there was much kind of literature around this. Um, and if there were any other um, health professionals that wanted to have a quick chat about um, gender in the workplace, because I was talking to the people in our um, group about how it would be really interesting, the sort of workshops that they do in schools, I would be really interested to try and do something like that in a, a, a health professional setting. So if anybody wanted to make have a quick chat about that afterwards, I'd be interested. I would probably, uh, I would assume that probably most of you know more about health-specific literature on gender than I do. I don't know about you, Hannah. I mean, what we what we can do, I think, is put together maybe a list or like some uh, literature on on gender, gender norms, masculinities, and so on in general. Um, but yeah, I, if anyone here has some really good like go-to resources um, for health professionals on gender. Hi. As a question, last year in the Cape Town, during the Cape Town Health Systems Global Conference, uh, I presented with uh, someone called Christine uh, Constance Newman. She works with the Capacity Building Plus Intra Health International, and they did a study on gender discrimination in HRH. So I would like you to go and just go to Capacity Intra Health International, and then you can. Google someone like, actually you can Google gender discrimination in HRH. Just that. Is a on that. And just some presentations that were done in Cape Town. So, excellent. Thanks. Amongst health professionals. So you'll be finding that there are very interesting things that come up. <laughs> well, <laughs> I give it. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, you want to give it to me? Oh. Any further questions? Can I just follow up on that point? I think I said it to you when we were talking about that. If, if anyone does want training or they want us to come in and work with workplace groups or teams or management or anything in the health sector or any other sectors, we're more than happy to do that at the Great Initiative. It's obviously it would be tailored to the needs of the participants. We wouldn't just do the same activity to do with like 12 year old boys. We try and make it a bit more relevant to um, professionals in question. But we're more than happy to do that. So I have cards and things. So if you want to to get contact details and things, please do approach us. And if we can't do it, there's always other organizations we can point you towards if you think that's gonna be helpful. Thanks, my question is actually for your group slash organization. Um, so I think it's really interesting that you go and talk to these boys and you try to change their minds. But I'm 
interested to know if you've ever gotten any backlash from parents, because very much the lots of behavior that boys learn mm -hmm. are from whatever male figures they have in their family. And, there's, and uh, a friend who works with kids, and the next day he got an email from the headmaster or whatever saying that a parent was speaking to their child, and then uh, the child brought up this really interesting, you know, uh, just idea about homosexuality. And he was like, oh, they talked about this, and they said it was okay. And the parent was very, very upset, and they were like, you're corrupting my child, or whatever. So do you, do you get that? And if you do, how do you, how do you try to treat it? So, um, so yeah, we don't have, we've never had parents come to us and say, you know, you're brainwashing our children, or you're, you know, your feminist ideology coming in. We have heard that in the mainstream media, that people have written articles about us. You can Google them if you want, they're very interesting. Um, awesome. People. Just one person, yeah, just one person didn't like it. Um, but we've never had parents approach us directly. It might be that parents engage with the schools after you come in and say, why, did my, why was my boy involved in this workshop? They've never passed that, passed that on to us. Um, I can imagine that there might be some questions that parents have, and what we're trying to do going forward is to engage more with parents. So we might have a, like a parents' evening question and answer session where we try and explain to them what we're doing. You know, we try and make them comfortable that we're not there to brainwash their children, we're not there to tell them that this is something they should be doing, this is something that's not doing, this is right and wrong. We're very much there to just start a discussion. We also want to create materials to give to parents so that they can have more informed or better supported discussions with their children themselves so they can carry on the discussions, they can keep keep this sort of talk and discussion going, um, which, is, which is the only way that, that we would approach it. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give out materials to say, if, you're, if your child says <coughs> this, this is the reaction you need. It's just, just, have, just open the debate up. Even talking to boys about this is a revolutionary thing. Let's just start, let's just start talking about it. David, it's very keen to talk. Yeah, I just wanted to make one point on that, which is that the, uh, the only time we did get a piece of feedback as far as school, and they were like, um, we got some odd feedback, which we're pretty sure wasn't correct, but basically one of the boys come back and said like, what did you do this? Oh, we watched some porn videos. <laughs> we had watched videos and we had discussed porn. Um, video was <laughs> on test talk, nothing to do with porn. I, and you know, there's always a teacher present in the room. Like I know that it wouldn't have been shown. So like it was very interesting though that that actually happened. That like some of the boys so often dislike. Yeah, porn videos. Can't believe it. Like, you know, it's all, um, um, it is like. Although it hasn't happened, and that is, is, is just amusing, it's quite telling the one how much confusion parents might get from these things, which tells you a lot about how much they're actually aware of what their kids do at school. Because even if that's in the case when a child isn't trying to escape the truth, it still comes out wrong. Um, but also, it, it might be a bit telling about. Because I agree. I, I've often wondered why. Why is there not an angry dad phoning me up, being like, "You told my son what?" You know, because I get that from parents. So I tell like what I do for a job. They'll be like, not coming to my school, you know, get that reaction. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's odd. But why aren't they, uh, why aren't these conversations being had? Perhaps the boys know that they don't, it's not something they should discuss. And sometimes maybe it's sadly like going on the type of schools we work and they just don't talk to their parents about what they do at school. This sounds pretty nice. Um, just so you brought up earlier about um, fatherhood and things. Um, I just thought I'd say about a growing number of single mothers um, and whether you've done any work on ensuring that boys have positive male role models. So that boys have positive male role models or 
Yeah. Um, I mean, something that we the, the the lack of positive role models both for boys and girls in terms of the conflicts we work in is a big challenge because very often it's um, either societies where you have a strong like the the people who who are making decisions who are respected are often like it's often seniority, so it's it's older people who um, often don't really obviously live the life of young people. So it's difficult on a lot of those issues for older people, more senior people, to be a role model. I think there's a lot of learning that can come from a more senior person to someone who's 16, but to be a role model is is challenging, and to find role models both for, for, for young men and for young women who are like at a similar age or slightly older is really challenging. Often you then have celebrities who have really nothing to do with the life, like there's, there's no connection between the life they live in, uh, whatever, uh, like Bollywood stars or so, um, or Hollywood stars, um, or big football players or so. Their reality has nothing to do with the reality of the young people that we are working with in conflict contexts. So that is a real challenge. We haven't worked specifically with single mothers, um, although obviously a lot of the, the people we work with happen to be single mothers. But we don't have, we haven't had specific projects focusing on single mothers. But again, there are other organisations who do that. To what extent they look specifically at? gender norms and role models for their children, I don't really know. Could you pass the mic forward? Thanks. Um, my question is to the Great Initiative. Um, talking in terms of the binaries that we were discussing before, do you do any work, I wasn't at the earlier session, disclaimer, um, do you do any work um, with young women and girls challenging um, masculinities, um, thinking about that binary, and also specifically to you, sorry, do you feel, um, I'm assuming that you um, give sessions as well to young men? I don't go to the schools. You no. don't go to schools? No. Oh, okay, then yeah. no other no, questions. It's, it's the men talk to the boys, so yeah. it's a sort of peer, we try to do a peer thing. Okay. So yeah, just, do you do any work with um, young women and girls on masculinity as well? Um, I can ask someone. Uh, oh, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We're hoping to what's doing so well through some partners and figuring out a really responsible way to do it. Um, we spent three hours creating a very open and safe environment for boys, so by the end of that we've really started chipping away at some of these patriarchal norms. And then we want to work out a way of combining that work with girls, because a lot of the time the boys are asking, well, what do the girls think about this? Um, and some of the feedback they say want to do the same thing but with girls. And also there's this weird sort of idea that they'll believe like 90% of what you say about, for instance, like girls don't enjoy street harassment, but it's kind of like, until I hear it from the mouth of a woman, I don't believe you. It's kind of this odd sort of, like, they're, they're almost convinced, but they need to actually hear it, hear it, sort of someone they consider to be a woman to say it first. So a bit of joining in, uniting groups there would be useful, but we're talking to some partners who do provision with girls in school to think about how we can do that responsibly. Um, and that would be part of the wider talk about, um, you know, moving then more advanced and sort of totally tear down gender identities as well. 
Um, this is just more of a thought um, or a comment, I suppose. But um, I was just thinking in terms of in, in the conflict situations and post-conflict situations, you've kind of got this chaos, this social chaos, which, which everything, you know, every norm, everything is kind of, everything that you take for granted is thrown up in the air and kind of, I guess it provides a really um, unique opportunity for you to, to intervene in, in, in ways that, that may not be, say, accessible to the British military. Um, because everything's so set and regimented. So I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. I think it's, it's both an, an opportunity and a real challenge because I feel like very often you have, for example, and, uh, because like if, like, let's just assume a standard situation, the man went fighting, the women had to take care of the family, had to become head of the family, breadwinners and so on and so forth. So gender norms already shifted, even though that wasn't the choice of the people. Um, and that can really be an opportunity <coughs> and it's actually really relevant because if then men come back, what we often see is that they come back, they might not have a job anymore, they might be, the, the women have had more rights and more opportunities, more burden as well, but um, then that can re create um, uh, family tensions mm -hmm. and, and, and often result in, in domestic violence and so on and so forth. Um, so that is a window of opportunity, but there's also often a, quite a strong backlash because if you've had a conflict situation, people often, like in some aspects, they want to go go back to a, a past that they like consider as having been like the, the good old past, the good old days, which weren't that good, often just old. And um, but I get, I guess so. So we often see that like you have some changes in terms of gender norms and then it's going backwards. Um, but it is an important time, I think, to, to, to then work on gender norms, because I, very often people are also, like in, in the Baltics, we've seen that very strongly, the people are, they are fed up with conflict, they are fed up with violence. Um, at the same time, you have a lot of people who come home, like former combatant soldiers who come home and who are really traumatized, who then have family problems. You have young people who grew up without their fathers, so or the, the issue about role models comes in, uh, comes in there. Um, so, so that is a really important time to work. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a, I think a window of opportunity is also hugely challenging and, and sensitive. Yeah. Um, sorry, just because people are starting to leave, which is totally fine, no offense taken. <laughs> it is your break time now. Um, but just a couple of things I wanted to say, this is a couple of people's personal belongings that have been left in the room in case they're yours. Um, so there's a phone, a white iPhone with some very fetching pink earphones. Uh, so if that belongs to anybody, I think it was left at the back of the room in the last session. And there is like um, an oyster holder thing with a Van Gogh kind of sunflowers vibe. Um, so if either belong to you, then feel free to come and play them. Oh, and we've got some um, Safer World uh, publications at the front here as well uh, from our work on masculinities and peace building, in case anybody's interested. And yeah, I would again recommend to watch the play lines if you're interested in masculinities and feminism. Really nice production. Great. Okay, well, um, thank you so much to the guests. Uh, yeah, I mean, now is your dinner time. So grab some food before the final uh, lectures. Thank you. <laughs>